everyone. Today I'm going to talk about fear. If I can get my notes on the table. There we go. First I want to just share some thoughts about fear and then we'll look at some biblical texts about fear and then we'll pray together and maybe share if, if, uh, if we're moved to, to share. Just think for a little bit, when was the time you were most afraid? I don't know if, it, if it's very traumatic and you haven't worked through it yet, you know, think about something else, but um, what's the most afraid you've ever been in your life? Maybe car accident, some kind of social embarrassment, someone found out a secret about you or something you didn't want people to know. Maybe an illness or a diagnosis or waiting for those test results to come in. Or maybe uh, afraid of some kind of punishment. What about your earliest memory of being afraid? What's the earliest memory you have of fear? Some people remember back to being two years old, I think. I don't think I do. I remember um, possibly not the earliest memory of fear that I have, but one of them. And, you know, your earliest memories tend to be <laughs> pain and suffering and fear kind of memories. Um, but I remember I was at some kind of uh, get-together with my parents. They were hanging out with, the, you know, the old folk friends, you know, 20-somethings. And um, I don't think I knew any of the kids there. There were other kids, and the adults were often to, you know, when you have a memory as a child, you, as an adult, it's kind of vague and like a dream. But I still remember the, the adults were like in the dining room at the dining table, you know, doing absolutely nothing, uh, talking, right? So boring. And then... There were some older children that I didn't know, and for some reason I was, I was all alone. And there was like a, like a keeping room, like a parlor, kind of off the side of the dining room, and then there was like a den where all the kids were, but I, I saw in that, in that keeping room, there was like a couch and t table and chairs, and on that little end table, there was like a, a candy jar. It had like peppermints in it and you know as a five-year-old <laughs> that's that's money right there <laughs> so I saw that and I you know I in my mind I was gonna steal that candy I'm sure they would have given it to me if I'd have asked but but I'm telling you I, I stole it and <laughs> but I, I snuck in there because the adults were just you know around the corner and I snuck in there and I I grabbed it I grabbed one peppermint, you know, it makes the crinkly 
sound. <laughs> I was like, oh no, and, and it's shiny. So I, you know, I, I put it in my hand and I just, I tie, you know, little kid hands, you can't hardly hold a peppermint without it sticking out. It's, you know, I, I covered it up completely and I had my hand just, you know, as tight as could be. And I guess I was gonna sneak through in the den somewhere and find a quiet place where they wouldn't hear me crinkle this <laughs> stolen goods open. Um, <clears throat> but then the terror, you know, one of these older kids, you know, maybe fifth grade, says, what's in your hand? <laughs> Obviously, they could, <laughs> they could see my hand. I thought I had it hidden pretty good, but nothing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the fear. I can still feel the fear, like, <laughs> I've been caught, you know. And they, you know, of course, they're fifth graders, so they just come and, like, rip it out of my hand and open it up and... <laughs> Oh, my life of crime ended soon. It didn't last long. So fear, we, we live with it all the time. Um, I want to say fear is not necessarily a bad thing. It's like pain. It lets you know that there's danger somewhere. Um, but the bad thing is the slavery that we feel or that the control that fear has over us. Fear can take many forms. Uh, it could be that kind of burning imminent fear that I was just talking about where, where the danger is very soon, very real, very right now about to happen. Or it could be kind of a nonspecific worry or anxiety, not sure what's going to happen or when, but something might happen. And I think uh, in our modern world, uh, we'll talk about this a little more later, but there's, there's a kind of existential dread that we have. When I was in Cambodia, the, the fear that I noticed, at least, uh, was more the kind of imminent danger, physical harm kind of fear. Um, uh, and when you see those kind of things, you, you know, you remember them. Like if, in Cambodia, you know, in the 70s, there was a horrible war going on. Um, uh, and you, you could be killed at any moment or maimed at any moment. And that kind of fear just stays around. You know, we're, we're getting closer to 50 years post-Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, but if, if, uh, if there's a backfire or a loud noise on the road, you will see people jumping off of moving vehicles, diving, you know, for the ground. These are, I mean, these are the children of the people that went through uh, that period. Um, so there's a lot of things that really, in Cambodia, that kind of made me Think about America and kind of our middle class uh, bubble lifestyle where we typically day in our day to day life at least we don't we don't have that many uh, fears like that where that we're where we're worried about 
getting in an accident that will kill us right now or, or being seriously injured or attacked. Our fear is uh, a little bit more like that existential dread. Uh, we, we've kind of demythologized our world. We've been talking about spiritual warfare and I know John mentioned the, I guess he called it re-enchanting from a book that, that he read. And um, I, I would probably use the word re-mythologize, but the word myth in mythology has a connotation of fake, false stories. And I don't, I don't mean it like that. Um, but I mean it like trying to explain the unexplainable. <laughs> things that are beyond what we see and hear and feel. Um, so in our modern world, we've kind of just disregarded all of that. We, we demythologized it. We, we, we were just part of a scientific rule-based order that when an atom smashes into another atom, it just goes on and smashes into another atom, and that's pretty much all there is to it. There's no evil or good, there's no kind of meaning to anything, and that creates a fear, uh, it does in me at least, this kind of fear that, well, there really is no meaning to life. What are, what are we here for? Nothing, I guess. It's just, we're here for a while and then we're gone. There's There's no... There's no horror of hell or fear of demons, but there's also kind of, there's not the joy of knowing God. So I hope we can uh, remythologize as we think about fear. It's not just uh, chemicals in our brains. We, we have, we have a, a mythical way of looking at what's going on uh, in our bodies. Um, let's talk about this existential dread. I think we got time. I have a poem. And uh, it's everybody's favorite progressive rock band. I don't know who David thinks that is. Second favorite? <laughs> I thought Pink Floyd probably is everybody's second favorite. So this is just a, it's lyrics to one of their songs that is, uh, it's depressing. It kind of <laughs> illustrates what I'm talking about, this existential dread that we have these days. Ticking away the moments that make up a dull day, fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. Kicking around a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for someone or something to show you the way. Tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You're young and life is long and there's time to kill today. And then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. And you run and you run to catch up with the sun. But it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Every year is getting shorter, never seem to find the time, 
Plans that either come to naught or half a page of scribbled lines. Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. The time is gone, the song is over. Thought I'd have something more to say. I've, I've been a Pink Floyd fan for a long time and I, that quiet desperation just has stuck with me <laughs> as not just the English way, probably the American way, the modern way. But there, you know, what, what are we here for? It just, it's just kind of flat. There's no meaning. The Macbeth quote that's famous is, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. We call this nihilism. But it brings out a kind of low-grade fear where we're just kind of going through the motions. So let's do better. Um, let's, let's get a mythology of fear, if I'm able to use that word in here. Uh, we have it. <laughs> we have it in our Bibles. Um, so I'm going to look at some things. Uh, with you. The first story in the Bible about fear is basically the first story in the Bible. We are in a garden of paradise, uh, protected, you know, just beauty, and joy, and happiness all day long. No fear, also no hope. Because there's nothing to hope for. It's all great. And let's, uh, let's, read, uh, let's read the text. It's right after uh, the snake talks to Eve and tells her some half-truths and gets her convinced. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. Okay, they didn't know they were naked, and then they realized they're naked. What, what's the significance of that? Realize, I mean, didn't they know? <laughs> I guess if there's no one that ever has any clothes, that, that you don't have a word naked. <laughs> it's just the way we are. But we've all had, well, maybe not all of us, a lot of us have had the dream where we're naked in front of a group of people. You ever had a dream like that? Never? Some of us have. Maybe half? No? <laughs> in front of this church when you're preaching? No, I haven't recently had those dreams, but it, it's a fear. 
you're, you're vulnerable, right? Uh, you're, you're exposed. You're, you're in danger, right? And that fear from the very first moment uh, put Adam and Eve and us as well into bondage. They, they, they could no longer freely be with God. They hid. They were afraid. They're not free. And we're not free. Um, you can look in the Hebrew scriptures, the Christian scriptures, you see hiding, fear, over and over. Continues today. We, we don't want to face our fears. We want to hide from them. We want to avoid. We want to distract. But we're still exiled from God, estranged from God, afraid of God, afraid of death, afraid of sickness, afraid of being judged, being rejected, afraid of shame, afraid of failing, afraid of the economy, afraid of losing our income, losing our health, afraid of politics, getting in an accident, afraid of being sued, afraid of loneliness, afraid of other people. This bondage to fear leads to a lot of other nasty things, rage and hatred and violence. Hope I've, well, I don't think we've gone all the way down yet. <laughs> we, of course, as Christians, look to Jesus as our Savior. We look to the cross as that moment of salvation. So let's uh, skip ahead. We're doing the whole Bible today, but we're skipping. I was going to use less of this passage, but it, it kind of fits the, the, the remythologization theme of there's more than just what you can see in here. There's, there's meaning out there. And so we're, we're in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, who uh, apparently was afraid. So he came to Jesus at night. Uh, and here's their conversation. And I just want us to listen to kind of the, the mythical language that Jesus is using and how Nicodemus is, just doesn't get it. He, he would fit in real well with us, I think. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. 
How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we will tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. What? <laughs> bronze snake on a pole? I don't know if I've heard a sermon on that one very often. I think we kind of try to avoid that image because we get a little uncomfortable about is, is it a, is it an idol did Moses build an idol of this snake you know we, we don't want to talk about it maybe or maybe it's just mythical language it doesn't make any sense so we just we go we go ahead to John 3:16 we love that one but John 3:14 skip skip that but what what does it have to do with Jesus on the cross he said it's just making a comparison, right? Jesus on a cross is like this bronze snake on a pole. Okay, let's, let's look at that. It's back in Ex or Numbers when the, the children of Israel are wandering in the desert for 40 years. They went through a lot of fear. Uh, and I'll just read it. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor tanking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But they grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There's nothing to eat here, nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. Apparently they had something to eat, but we won't talk about it too much. Uh, and I will state that the text of the language makes it sound like they're just whining. Like, this is serious. <laughs> they have no home. <laughs> they're out in the desert where plants don't grow and water does not flow. It's, it's not unreasonable for them to be kind of afraid. So we'll give them a little break. Uh, and understanding we'd be right there with them. But the seriousness of their complaining is a little more than just whining, too, I believe. It's more of a brewing mutiny. We're about to have a revolution here. Um, and that could be a big problem. So, uh, so they, well, they spoke against Moses and God. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So, pray, so Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake out of bronze. Attach it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake 
could look at the bronze snake and be healed. This is, this is when you're a kid and you're looking at this scripture, like when the preacher's preaching and you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. And then you're like looking at a bronze snake and looking, what? What is the, what, why are they looking at the thing that caused their fear, the thing that is killing them? You want to make an image of that and look at it. I think when they're looking at that snake, they're looking at the fear, the danger. They're also looking at kind of the fear of judgment. The, you know, we brought this on ourselves. And that's kind of what we're doing when we look at the cross, isn't it? We're looking at the sum of all our fears, being attacked, being murdered, being rejected and shamed in front of everyone. And this is how we're saved from sin. And yes, also from our bondage to fear. You can might understand how the cross is a uh, stumbling block to some. And this, you know, this cross, this looking at the cross is absolutely central to our faith, what it means to be a Christian, is looking at this atrocity that was committed against the greatest human that ever lived. And Paul in 1 Corinthians says, uh, you know, that he, he resolved to know nothing while he was among the Corinthians, but Christ and Him crucified. You know, this is the key. We look at this every Sunday. We just did. We looked at the cross in communion. You can preach about whatever you want, but we're going we're gonna to do communion every Sunday, aren't we? And I don't want to explain the theological implications. <laughs> there, there are explanations about why looking at the cross saves us or how. But let's uh, let today just let, just let it be a mystery. Just let it be a, a myth for us as Christians. Let's get practical. Let's not just look at... Um, that cross, Jesus' cross, but look at our own crosses. Um, I'm going to take a little liberty and just for today, our cross to bear is whatever we're afraid of. I think it definitely includes that. What are the fears that are bubbling up inside us these days? And through the cross, through looking at our fears. I hope we can find the path to hope. But we're not done yet. We started um, in the first garden, garden of paradise, promise, newness of life, of joy and peace. And we're going to go to the second garden, 
Garden of Gethsemane, Garden of distress and fear and anguish and death and pain that brings us life. You know the meaning of Gethsemane? You know what a Gethsemane is? It's an it's a oil, an olive oil press. They, they just had, you know, we have machinery these days, but in those days they, had, they would just put their big stack of olives in a big bag and they would just stack heavy rocks on top and the heavy rocks would crush the olives and the oil would come out. So it's, the Garden of Gethsemane is not just a random place. This is where, <laughs> where the weight of, of every evil in the world is kind of crushing Jesus. <clears throat> so let's read. Uh, Jesus is with uh, Peter, James, and John. Uh, they went into the olive grove called the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, "Sit here while I go and pray." He took Peter, James, and John with him. He became deeply troubled and distressed. So the the commentators that I looked at for for this deeply troubled and distressed said there's there's not really many words that would be more extreme than this. This, you know, this deeply troubled is just kind of a, a feeling of terror. You know, it's as, as afraid as you can be. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he returned and he found the apostles, well, I guess it's, there were disciples then. He found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned them to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. And what, do you, what do you say? <laughs> when they returned to him, when he returned to them the third time, he said, "Go ahead and sleep." Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. This is, <laughs> this is our example. All right. 
What, what did Jesus do with his fear? Didn't hide from it. Didn't distract himself from it. Didn't avoid it. He looked at it, right at it. Prayed about it. And not like a, you know, churchy church prayer. (laughs) Like a real prayer. Like a fall to the ground. Tears. Kind of prayer. I mean, he he tried to share it with his disciples, his friends, didn't he? <laughs> they they failed him big time on that one. And he prayed, and he didn't pray like, "Oh God, this is this is a great thing that I'm doing, and sign me up for another one." We don't pray. We're not masochists, right? That has been an accusation of Christians, hasn't it? We're not. We're not self-flagellating. The, 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 the distress, the pain and anguish that comes, whether we want it to or not. When we pray, we pray God take it away. But then we, we move towards the fear. So, I'm gonna, hopefully we can do a little practice of that today. I want us to spend a little time in prayer together, and I'm going to open it up, and I don't want it, you know, after I pray a little bit, I'm going to open it up to uh, anybody or everybody to share, you know, what, what God's brought to your mind during our prayer time. Um, and you can share as much detail as you like, as little as you like. Um, you can grab the mic and say it directly into the mic. You can say, hey, friend, I'm not comfortable with that. Could you share this with the group? Um, and there's no pressure. You, you, know, you don't have to share anything if, it, if you're not comfortable. But I would encourage you to share it with someone at some point. Uh, And then after that, we'll kind of finish up the prayer and and finish our service together. And um, let's pray. Jesus, we're we're so afraid of uh, so many things. We uh, we're afraid of pain and sickness and death, and we're afraid of being rejected by people. We're afraid that, that there is no real meaning to this life after all. And we try really hard to ignore our fears. We try to distract ourselves from our fears. But they're, they're not going away. We're we're constantly struggling to hold them down, to hold them back, but uh, fears keep coming up. Fears keep 
controlling us and pushing us around. Jesus, we just want to ask you this morning to show us what, what it is we're ignoring. What, what fear are we not confronting right now? Just please show us what we're hiding from. I'm going to bet some of you had a hard time. I'm going to bet some of you had something that just came up immediately. And uh, I've got the mic. I guess I have the only mic. So if you want to say something, raise your hand, and I'll come and bring the mic to you. Father, we um, some of us have shared fears that we have right now, and all of us definitely have them. And We just want to ask you to show us, uh, show us what you want us to do. How, how do you want us to face these fears that we've uh, brought up? Father, is, is there someone in our lives that you want us to share this fear with? Who do we need to tell about it? Father, we just want you to see our fears, to Enter into them with us. Father, we just pray that you would take away whatever it is that we're afraid of, that you would give us peace in our hearts, give us hope for the future. We pray that the fears we have will have no power over us. We give them to you. Please, Lord, help us to stop hiding, to face our fears, and to, to live faithfully and courageously. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.